Welcome back to the UK2 podcast. On today's show, we have Rajiv Kapoor on the show. He has three multi-million dollar exits. He's built successful teams and business units in China, India, Switzerland, Singapore, uh, the Southeast Asian market. Uh, he is a CEO of 1105 Media, a B2B a marketing and events company, which is his third company at that. Uh, he's worked closely with the CEO of Dell and he had the master's from USC. There, I can go on and on about his accomplishments, truly. But I'm excited to talk about this book here that we have, Chase Greatness. Uh, Rajiv, for those who may not be aware of who you are, can you give us a brief overview? Well, James, first of all, thanks for the introduction. And I appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to be on with you. You know, it's, it's great. I know, I know you said it's snowing where you are in beautiful Southern California right now. But first of all, I want to thank you and the listeners for taking the time to listen in. I know they better think for their time. So I really appreciate that for them listening. Look, I mean, I think about it. Who am I? I mean, I had Kind of a little bit of a loaded question. Uh, you know, I'll be able to. I'm just a guy who's out there trying to make a difference. You know, so they sure you list off some of my accomplishments, which are great. But I know those accomplishments were were great teams, great support, mentors, and fully grateful for it. I just felt like COVID hit. There was art. Find a way to get find wish the world, and you know, I wanted to take my skill set and what I've been able to learn over the years, leader, and having these exits and building these businesses. Having wide, having a wide range of uh, experiences, what I can to help, you know, the future because I think there's a major disruption coming four months, and, and I don't think leadership now, Gen X and Boomer leadership is up to to speed with that, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more more here soon. That's kind of the way out. Apart from that, uh, you know, you're in New York with big Laker Kobe there above me. Okay, cool. A couple of amazing kids, married, and have amazing dog. Enjoy life. Absolutely, I know that that you wrote the book in 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 the beginning of 2020. I think it was about about 18 months to write. So you definitely had a lot in the backlog. I've worked. I have a client that's took her multiple years to to write her book. So I'm curious what what really pushed you into writing the book to begin with, and how you approach such a big project. Great question. You know, look. So when COVID, everybody's working. Everybody all of a sudden got to work. And it was a bit, there's a pretty big impact on my business because at the time, about 55% of my business was face to face and ass. So imagine you're going to better miles an hour and hit this wall called COVID overnight. I'm not talking like sometimes businesses decline over a couple of years or whatever it might be, right? Imagine within a two, literally a 24 hour window where your entire business over half your business stops on a dime. When when that happened, it was a huge impact. And who was, I mean, there was no mentor for me to call. There was no case study for me to go read. And this never happened. And there's probably a 24 to 48 hour window there where you have a little bit of a posture. Like, why am I here? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to lead this team through what this is? Because I don't know what's going on. No one knows. Right. If they did, they're full of shit. You know, so no one knew what to do. And so, but after about a 24 to 40 hour window of just kind of like sitting there feeling down on myself and having a little bit of a pity party, you, know, you wake up and put a big white band and say, all right, let's go figure it out. You're right. There are no case studies written about, about this. Maybe in 20 years, I'm going to write case studies about what we're going to do. So that was the attitude I took. And so that's what I decided to do in the business. Now, that was the business personal front. I started getting really stressed out. Uh, I wasn't sleeping. What challenge? 
And what's the, what do they tell you when you get on an airplane? Caves of turbulence, masks are going to fall from the ceiling. Right? They take put your own mask on first. Mm-hmm. Well, writing this book was my ability to put my own mask on first. That's yeah. so that's why I wrote the book. I had kind of the rope leaves of the book or the ideas for the book meant for a while. I had, I had notes kind of everywhere. But finally, when COVID hit, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this because I needed something to do with my time when I wasn't, and I couldn't be able to carve it out. I needed to focus on health, I needed to focus on the book, mental wellness, and physical wellness. And you just figure out how to become more just more than just be that CEO working 18 hours a day kind of first time. So that's what I did. COVID alone. Yeah, yeah. that, And I think that COVID really opened up so much for so many people. Like I started my business in the beginning of COVID. I think it just pushed us to either fall back or really take a giant step forward. And it seems like you were able to adapt. And it, it's this kind of brings me into something that was at the beginning of your book. And it's one of my favorite quotes, actually, is the most important factor in survival is neither intelligence nor strength, but adaptability. Did that, did you doing this in the beginning of COVID really have an impact on that being the first quote of the book and really kind of leading into what the book was going to become? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, God, I don't, I think Elon Musk said right there, there's plenty of people who are graduates of MBAs and PhDs or what you we're not that smart, but you know, the skill that I think that was most important back then that I think is really important now more, especially with new technology like ChatGPT coming out and Dali and all these different things is your ability to adapt, your ability, your ability to improvise, your ability to overcome. You have to do that. If you're unwilling to adapt, if you're unwilling to change, you're going to get left behind. You're going to have to fail. And I don't want you to fail. And I think where we are right now with that Gen Z millennial group, that gen that they know that population, you know, you guys are going to be in the forefront to fix all this nonsense that's been created ahead of you. Things think you guys are going to do for the task. I I, uh, I am a firm believer. Like people say that the, the World War II generation, you know, that that generation was was the world's greatest generation. And firmly believe that what they had to do was was amazing. But I'll tell you, I think when it's all said and done, this whole, the whole millennial Gen Z generation may, may be right up there, given all the challenges that that group, that this group is going to face, climate change, social justice reform, you name it, right? And so, so I think, you know, having that adaptability is going to be critical. That's why I said the first book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, through three different exits, um, through working with like very, very high up in Dell and then doing your own company and doing all the things that you've done, what do you think has led to you being able to have that leadership and you being able to adapt so so quickly, especially when it's happening so quick, as you said, I mean, it happened overnight. How were you able to really adapt to that? Like, what can you say you really, really brought you that that ability to do so? Yeah, look, I think early on, I put out premium on trying to build team culture. If you look at, and I mentioned the book and look at the research, right? Deloitte, big accounting firm, did, did it did a research study that said 90% of CEOs believe culture is important, but only 10% ever do anything about it. And to me, I spent a lot of time on culture. And what that looks like to me is I put a premium on the fact that my employees are my internal company. And not a lot of people do that. So people think about their external company, right? So if you're retail, you think about the person walking in the door, right? If you are working for Delhi, you think about maybe selling computers to, to some organization in New York or Wall Street, whatever it might be. So you think about the external customers buying. And 
I'm here to tell you that your internal customer as a leader is more important because the more you can focus on your internal customer, the more you can give them the tools to do their job, the more that you can, the more that you can provide an amazing work experience. You're going to you're gonna less turnover, greater adaptability. You're going to have more innovation and you're going to have people who are really going to do what they can to take care of the external customer. So I think it starts with the internal customer first. To me, there's no chicken. In to me, it's take care of your internal customer first, then your external customer will, 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 will come through. And so, you know, and I, and I think that's true. So, and I think that, that, that that's how it was allowed me to knock on wood successful to where I am today. And I hope that continues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're the people that you work with are going to be the, the most important thing. If with, without them, I mean, you have nothing else, right? So, you being able to do that is the same reason that while the great resignation is happening, you probably haven't been too affected by it because you hurt that first. And that's a big value of yours. Let's seemingly saying that most of my audience isn't in a leadership position, say in corporate or wherever it may be. Most people are looking for those three steps to success or those three steps to becoming the best leader. I'm curious what you think have allowed you to become the leader that you are today. And like, what has, in, what has been incorporated in for you being becoming that? That makes sense. Yeah, I think, look, I don't know if I could say there's three steps per se. Right. But I think some of the things that you've heard from others, I'm sure, on this show have been like, you know, be the first one in the work in the morning and be the last person to leave. And I think I mean, those are all kind of foundational truths. You want to be able to do those things. But to me is you always want to be the hardest worker in the room. You don't need to be the smart. I don't want you to be the smartest person in the room because when you're the smartest person in the room, it's going to be time to change the room. You want to be the hardest worker in the room. But I think more more than anything, I think if you want to get ahead in your career and you're in your 20s, I will tell you this. I'm going to give you a piece of advice I don't think anybody's ever given, which is I want you to go find the hardest, most difficult task in an organization that you work at. I want you to volunteer to fix it. That's kind of what happened to me, and I write about it in the book, right? Back in 2000, I was running the West Coast for Dell. And it was about a billion dollar business. It's huge. I was going to have a call with my And I was, I was excited. Oh, wow. And this promotion. It's cool. It's awesome. And sure enough, I get on the call. And he says, well, gee, I'm sending you the chocolate. Like, what? Yeah. You know what? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, what? Why are you sending me to China? Are you crazy? You know, like, you know, it's like sending the, it's like, you know, you hear the story of the, of, of the military guy who does something wrong and says, like, you're kind of a thing, right? I'm like, wow, what are you wrong? I must have really pissed me off this whole process. He goes, he said, are you done talking? Like, yeah, he goes, look, he goes, one of the things he learned from one of his mentors is that what you do is you don't want to take your best people and stick them on something that's already doing well. You want to take your best people, have them go solve, fix, find ways to grow the most hardest thing in the company where the most, where the area that needs to be successful the most for the future. In this case, China was really important for Dell's overall growth for the next 10, 20 years, and it's done really well. And so I went, and then for that, after that, a few other people have come, and it's been great. But to me, I tell people, raise your find out the most difficult thing in the company and go do it, go tackle it. And here's the thing. Chances are you're going to be successful. Chances are you're going to find a way, you're going to find a solution. But even if you don't, they're going to remember you for raising your hand to try so that's the biggest piece of advice I can give your listeners right now. Here's if you're working in a nine to five job, and you're looking to get ahead, raise your hand and volunteer for the hardest thing possible. I had a conversation with 
I can't tell you the name of the company, but I had a conversation with an executive and a major streamer. I was talking to this executive and he's kind of, well, he's like a mid-level, like he's kind of like a director level person. I was talking to him and I said, listen, I asked him, I go, what is your number one biggest growth market challenge that currently the streamers face? And he said that there's a country in Asia that they've been trying to crack, but really struggling. I said, okay, I want you to raise your hand with bosses and I want you to volunteer to go to that country. Go for a year, go for two years. Tell them that you're going to go there and work with his team, figure it out. Sure enough, he did. Right now, he's in the process of potentially going out there and working out the details of this. So, so it's those kinds of things that you want to be able to do because if that becomes successful for him, he becomes that go-to guy and say, look, he's, he or she's going to be super reliable to go after and go, go solve these problems. So that's what you want. I, I love it. I love it so much. And it's a lot of what, what I talk about in this podcast. One of my favorite things that I say is that failure is feedback. I think that most of the time, the people that get, ahead, that get ahead in life are the ones that are eager to get ahead, the ones that are raising their hand, knowing that they're going to fail. And it's likely they may look stupid. They may look uh, like the person that maybe isn't ready, but the ones that get ahead are the ones that start, right? And, and I think that the biggest failure is failing to try to begin with. So if you're able to adapt and everything's figure outable, I believe, I mean, you're going to learn along the way. But if you don't try at all, you're, you're not going to get anything. I mean, what are the, I'm, I'm curious, what are the less obvious reasons that you found success in business and in life? Wow. Less obvious. Um, you know, timing usually works. You've got, got to be in the right place at the right time. Definitely. You know, I was in a business where timing was bad. It was right. It was the right solution at the wrong time. I think had we, I mean, essentially it was like an Etsy type business. We had launched it probably four years, five years too soon. And now you look at Etsy, it was basically the same concept and the same idea. So obviously timing is a big one. Uh, you know, your ability, you know, your ability to pivot, you know, when, when, you know, when, when, when you first launch, understand and realize that no matter any new idea you come up with, it's probably going to take twice as long. It costs twice as much. So, so if, you, if you've got an idea, if, you, if you're going to fund a new business, if you're going to launch a new product, it's going to cost you $100,000. It's going to take you six months. I'm telling you, it's going to cost you 200 grand. It's going to take you a year, right? Uh, you know, but then there's also, you know, you guys, then it's also making sure you surround yourself with the best possible people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes human nature gets in the way of that because you get close to people. And so you want to be able to make sure you surround yourself with really amazing, really, really amazing talent. And make sure they have the tools to be successful. But I think some of those are the things that are probably less obvious things, but timing is probably the biggest yeah, no, definitely. I think it's something very underrated. We don't really take into account. I think that's probably why you think that Gen Z and this this next generation is going to have such a big impact because of everything that's happened. I mean, it's it's the time to to make it happen. I know that you you speak a lot about being the not the smartest person in the room, which I believe wholeheartedly in, and it kind of goes back and forth with what you said there a minute ago about just being eager to kind of go after it and take on the biggest project that you can. You have over 180 rules. And in the book, you only incorporated 30. I'm curious why you only put 30 in, and then what do you believe is the most essential out of all of them? Well, first of all, there can, there, you know, it's, it's, it's a real it's a nice little social media way to have all these little rules and feel somewhat relevant. Then I remember up five years old. How old are you? Like 25? I mean, you know, 19. so. You're 19. Well, you're 19 years old. So you're younger, you're younger than my sons. And so, look. The total number of rules that were recorded like were up 234, 235. Yeah. I only put 30 in there because, you know, it's going to be too long to go on. 
But but number two is because, you know, the idea there was to kind of be a hook to be able to come to my Instagram, check out the wheels, go on my TikTok or whatever the case might be and go, go check it out. But that, I mean, that, that, there's that. But I mean, look, the, 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 these are not, this is not saying that these are 250 rules or roughly two rules that you have to follow alone, right? These are more lessons, ideas, concepts. But I'll give you a couple of them. I mean, these are not any particular ones. You know, the one, I, I did one yesterday, they got a lot of feedback. And that was, this, at the end of the day, you know, I'm advocating and I'm pontificating on this concept of enlightened leadership. Mm-hmm. And I know we're, we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a minute. But enlightened leadership is essentially the next generation of servant leadership. We'll talk about but enlightened leadership says CEOs need to look within, need to figure out, they not only need to figure out how to be successful with their employees, their general customer within the walls of the business. It's how can you be successful with your employees outside the walls of the business as well. And there are four core areas where Gen Z and millennial really want help and focus on from their leadership teams outside the walls of the business. And I call it the Jedi. And I say it just, and I call it the Jedi because I'm a Star Wars nerd and my doctor's name is Chewie. I was 10 years old when Star Wars came out. So the Jedi stands for justice, environment, diversity, inclusion. So that was my rule yesterday, which was focus on the Jedi, justice, environment, diversity, inclusion. And that one probably got more feedback. I got more feedback on that one yesterday than I did probably in the previous couple of weeks. So, you know, so it just depends on which one's visiting. I think one of my favorite ones, though, is hire people smarter than you, give them the tools to do their job. And that is the hardest thing for a leader to do. And it's, I'm telling you guys right now, it's the hardest thing for a Gen X leader that you were for to do, a Uber to do. You know, that they get it in concept, right? But, you know, the, you know the, it's just, it's just, it's human nature. It takes time. And so they're going to want to be, have to be trustworthy in processes. Those are a couple of examples, right? Another one, look, another, there's a couple of simple. You can't measure it. You can't manage it. It's as simple as that. You can think about your podcasts, right? If you can't measure how many downloads you're getting, if you can't measure, you know, you know, whatever the performance is, how are you going to manage to make, to affect change, to adapt the podcast and pivot to something else, right? So it's those kinds of things or examples and life lessons, or business lessons that I try to, that I try to show this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and at the end of every chapter too, you have those those really intentional questions that you have, right? Like you bring them through the story in the beginning, you kind of bring it through the entire chapter, and then you have the questions at the end to be intentional about it, right? Like we can't, no matter how important or how much information a book can have, if you're not implementing it, then there's really nothing that you can gain from it. Um, because information is nothing without implementation from it. I know that 75% of employees struggle with mental health, and this is from the book. You opened up more days for wellness without cutting out vacation. I'm curious for you, what practices do you have to take care of yourself knowing that a leader really can't show up his best if, if they're not showing up for themselves first? Yeah, no. So so there's three things that I do. Number one is I read and write quite a bit. So I wrote the book, but then I also wrote a movie screenplay, yes. which I just sold. And then I just completed my second movie screenplay. And it's right now with the script doctor who's kind of doctoring it up and kind of going through it. So do that. I like to read a lot. I'm a big, you know, fiction reader. And I just finished Project Hail Marys by the guy that wrote The Martian, which was a lot of fun. I also just got David Goggins' new book. So right. I like to, which, uh, what's it called? The never never finished, I think. That never finished. And so I just got that an audio book. So I work out. It's actually starting a new routine next week. But I work out. I'm going to start picking up yoga. I try to meditate a little bit every day. You know, I, um, and I, and I just, and I really try to enjoy 
you know, the, the other things, you know, I, I take time to, to support, you know, to, to make sure I follow up with the Lakers, I, you know, whatever, right? I, I'm like right now I'm learning everything I can about chat GPT at Dali, right? Just because I feel like I need to know those types of things, right? Um, you know, I, um, I, I you know, walk my dog all the time, you know, so, you know, so it's like, you know, and, I, and I'm never satisfied, you know, always trying to do things. Like I have a list of things this year that I want to accomplish, right? I had everything there from learn how to make a really great cappuccino all the way to go skydiving, right? You know, I've been on here, you know, take, take salsa or tango lessons, you know, what else would I have on my list of things that I want to do this year? You know, I've, I've met this, met this little layer of these list of things that I kind of want to accomplish this year. And I, you know, it's like, you know, I would take an iPhone photography class, you know, you know, I want to do a TED talk this year. Uh, you know, I have, I do some executive coaching. So I'm looking to add two or three more executive, uh, you know, clients to my executive coaching business, which I think many needs it. So, so I mean, I've like, got a little list of things and I like keep myself busy and it's great. Yeah. I love it. And it really shows it, it's funny when you, when you put it into perspective, a lot of people can look at you, right? For example, like you've already accomplished so much in your, in, in your life. And just you speaking about all the all the things that you want to do continuously moving forward, it kind of reminds you that like life isn't for the destination, but more so the learning process of it. I think that's what you got. Yeah, I'll just say a little. James, no one's promised tomorrow. But when COVID, no one could realize and figure out that so many people potentially could pass away. You know, all over the world, right? No one knew the disruption that could bring. No one's promised tomorrow. I mean, you know, I mean, Kobe died. I mean, you know, you know, with with his daughter. Hey, you know, you need you, you're just not promised tomorrow. And so, just try to maximize every single day that you have. Brace whatever you have today, and go try to be the best version of yourself. And leave the place and leave this world a better place. So I tell my sons, I go, look, I don't care what you do. Just try to leave the world a little bit of a better place than okay. when you came in. That's it. And just focus on that. And if everyone did that, then you become more and more enlightened. And that's ultimately the whole concept of enlightened leadership. You're, you're literally speaking before I even like exactly what I was just going to say there, right? It's exactly what an enlightened leader is. I'm curious, knowing that where you are today, like, like I said, you've, you've accomplished so much. I'm curious what, what you wish you had, what skill, habit, or training, whatever that may be, you wish that you developed earlier in your life. Yeah, you know, um, I just worked early on, right? I, I didn't really have anybody telling me what, telling me what I'm telling you guys, yeah. which is find that right balance. And I and I and I and I spew that word balance all the time to my sons, which is you know, you've got to really find that balance between business, family, personal. And a lot of times, people if they find that balance, it's usually business and family, and they forget about personal. And I really did not put a lot of effort and focus on me personally. You know, really, it, it wasn't until COVID that I really started focusing on myself and making myself a priority. And had I done that, I think, early on, I'm sure I still would have gotten the right. But I think I would have done it in a lot less stressful, healthier manner. And so... You, you can have everything in life. You can have all the money you want. You can have as many TikTok followers or Instagram followers as you want. You don't have your health. You're not going to have it. So, so that, that's still where we are without right now. I love that. And I think that's really important to say, especially for my audience. It's, it's something that I, I preach on a whole lot as well. I think that 
especially as a young entrepreneur, like that, that internal pressure that you have to always be working, to always move forward, to always be striving towards something is, is something really difficult to let go of and to, to, to manage. Like you said there, it's, it's having that balance between both. And there's a, a question from, I think it's from James Clear that I, I love and I've been really asking myself more frequently, I think it might align with even asking you is like, it's what are you optimizing for? Like so much we're trying to strive, we're trying to move forward, but like, what are you trying to optimize for? Are you trying to optimize for growth? Are you trying to optimize for enjoyment? I mean, where you are today, what's your definition of success and, and, and where you are, what are you trying to optimize for now? Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, then I mean, that's a great question, and I've heard that question before, and I kind of look at it a little bit different. Like, so you're familiar with Simon Sinek, right? Of course, start with why. And he's got that, and he's got that book, Start With Why. To me, James's question and Simon's questions are the same. What's your why? And what are you optimizing for? Are essentially the same thing. And to me, what I'm optimizing for and what my why is to do everything I can to honor other people's dreams. But it's because look, at the end of the day, I'm a big believer in karma, and so. And I'm a big believer, the more you put out in the world, you'll, you'll get back exponentially. And to me, what can I do to honor other people? You know, so that's really what I'm optimizing. What I'm optimizing for is not myself. What I'm optimizing for is to do everything I can to support and help others and help others be successful. Because if they're being successful, it's going to come back to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. One of my favorite kind of goes back to one of my favorite quotes is, you're going to get what you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life. And, 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 and that, that belief, like always striving towards that, trying to help other people, it's, it, it's going to allow you to live a life in a, in a better place. I mean, knowing that this book is a lot about leadership, let's say that some of my audience maybe is in a leadership position. They may be in uh, an employee position. What do you think they can do to benefit from this, uh, from this book and, and, and how can they? Well, look, you know, first of all, I'm First, you got to understand the concept of enlightened leadership. And enlightened leadership builds off of this concept of servant leadership. You know, as a Gen Xer, I kind of grew up in this world where, the, you know, where I was taught servant leadership. And servant leadership says, hey, James, you know, what can I do to help you be successful? But the question is really, what, what can I do to help you be successful within the walls of the business from nine to five? Enlightened leadership takes it one step further. Enlightened leadership says, Servant leadership is the foundation, but to build on top of that, because of what's happening in the world right now, James, what can I do to help you be successful outside the walls of the business? If you think about how work is changing, there's more power in my iPhone than there is an entire moon mission from the 60s, right? And so, and think about it. I can now run, I can run, I can do 95%. I can manage 95% of my company just on my boat anywhere in the world. I could be in Lake Cuomo, I could be in India, I could be in the Maldives, wherever, I could be in Argentina, doesn't matter. I, I could do, I can manage a company from anywhere in the world. And that means my employees can work from anywhere. That means my employees can work from home. That means, do I care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. as long as the job gets done? Like my company has gone fully remote. And a lot of people like, and I saw my investors at board members like, oh, you're shaving remote, you got I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you know why employees tell me? My, my employees love it because to me, to what they tell me is that they get two hours of their day back. You know, they get up, they don't have to get up as early. They can go work out. They don't have to worry about putting on makeup if you're a woman, to sit in traffic or wh- whatever the case might be. And so, so they, they have that. And the light leadership recognizes that. So that's the lovely piece of stuff outside the walls of the business. The other, the other idea of light leadership 
is is essentially saying, look, I'm going to help you focus on that Jedi that, that we talked about. So one of the things that we do in the company is we offer, not only do we offer the two wellness days a year, which months of wellness days, we offer every election day, people get it, every election day in November, people get a pay day off to go vote in my company. So the one we just had in November, the whole company, shut the whole company down for a day. People went to go vote. Now, if they voted by mail, great. I told them, go be a poll worker. Go, go volunteer in your community. You don't want to do that? Great. Go watch a movie with your kids. You don't want to do that? Then just take a mental wellness day for yourself and make it another mental wellness day. The point is, the point is at the end of the day, is that a light leadership says, hey, James, I care about you. I want you to be successful, but I also care about you when you go home. And so, you know, because the more I can, the more I can provide value to you outside the walls of the business, the more you're going to stay with me, organization, the less attrition I'm going to have, you know, the less I have to worry about placing you, whatever the case, building that culture. And so that's, that's ultimately the, the idea of it. Yeah. And I, and then moving, well, I'm grateful that you bring that up too. Cause like you said a minute ago, like a lot of what has like brought apart to your success is timing. Right? And I think in, in, in the timing that we're in, in the world today, that is becoming more of a standard. And I believe it should be. Um, and, and you bringing that up now, there's not another book that I can think of that really represents that kind of mindset to the world. And you being able to bring that is going to help lead other people into taking that mindset on as well. Where did you take that mindset on and, and how did you adapt it into your company today? Yeah, I mean, look, it's elements of the mind leadership have been in the company since the day I started during this, since I started to run this business. And so, as I mentioned, we're doing the, the paid day off to go vote. We're doing the mental wellness days. You know, we are, you know, we have, we maintain a small percentage of our profits. We support, you know, charities and nonprofits all, all, all around, all over the country. You know, a couple of years ago for, you know, we supported Operation Smile. I was helping people let that palate issue because those people get ostracized in their communities and sometimes they commit suicide or they get killed or whatever it might be. And so, you know, so to do that, we donated like four over, over a couple of years, we donated almost $4,000 there. Wow. Uh, this last year we support, we've been supporting in South Los Angeles in, in the San Pedro area, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, a nonprofit called Wayneville Services, where they are a leader in domestic violence support, right? Helping people who've gone through domestic violence, helping them find new, helping them find new lives and support outside of the, the life that they were living. And that's where and it's typically it's women and kids. We support, you know, um, we are supporting a, a high school that's on the border, Mexico, Arizona border this year, where we're going to help, where, where we are going to help promote scholarships for, for three kids, you know, to co- help, help them go, go to college, you know, because they're coming from really, you know, challenged areas. And so, so those are the things that we're doing to try to make sure we, we, uh, we're finding ways to get, to get back to our communities the same time finding ways to be able to provide the right tools and success for our, for our employees as well. So those are just small examples of things that, that we're doing, that we have been doing organization. I love it. I love it. And, and it's, again, like you said, you brought up karma a little bit ago. And it's like, there's there's so much good that's going to come right back to you for all of the good that you're bringing into the world. And like you said, this this book may have been for you, but in the same sense, I'm so grateful that you brought it up and, and, and you created it because it's going to help so many other people take on that mindset as well. Like you said, it's, it's what we're bringing into the world and you encapsulating that into a book and kind of being like a representation of that and with your company as well, it's able to expand people's mindset past what we've been taught for so long. And I think that that's where change starts to happen, right? It's the timing of, of it happening. Um, 
I'm curious, knowing that you've, you've, you've exited three different companies, uh, you've wrote a book, um, you, you have your company going on right now. What's the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Wow. Um, that's a good question. I, can, I don't know if I can really kind of point to one particular lesson. Mm. I, think, I think early on in my career, I think I, I think building. So there, there, there are five key pillars of enlightened leadership, and they're gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. I think that last one, transparency, is probably the one that was probably the hardest lesson to learn, right? It's a hard, of the five, it's the hardest one to implement. Because people say, well, why didn't you pick trust? How, how come that T, because if you take every letter of, that, of, those, of those five words, it spells great. Ultimately, that's the whole title of the book, Chase Greatness. And so, and it's basically when you word stars, and again, it's gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, transparency. Well, people say, well, why wasn't that, why, why transparency, not trust? And I, and I just said, it was trust in the beginning, but then I changed it to transparency because I don't think trust unless you're fully transparent. And what that meant was, I'll give you an example, like when, when COVID hit, I couldn't hide the fact that we lost 55% of our business over. Yeah. People are going to, right? I, I wasn't going to share about the fact that there were going to be layoffs, we're going to be pay cuts, there's going to be all these issues, but I wanted them to know that we had a plan in order, in order for them to trust me. You transparent with them first, and you're going to have to buy into it. So that means I had to open it up. And I think, I think a lot of leaders are a little leery on how much they want to really share with their teams. And I guess what I'm here to say is you know, share as much as you want, but you're going to be surprised by the more transparent you are, the more buying you're going to get more successfully. I really love that. I really love, I think that you changing that transparency instead of trust, I, like exactly as you said there, there's no trust without transparency. I really love that perspective. There's one last question that I ask every single well, person that comes on the show, and it's I think it's really important to to really bring humility into to, into this uh, perspective of like you have so much success, and I think a lot of people can look at that and just look at that like it's an entire mountain that they they have to like really take on. I'm curious, what belief are you currently in learning in life right now? So repeat the question: What what belief? My what? What belief are you currently unlearning in life right now? Unlearning. Mm. Wow. Jeez, a good, good question. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't really thought about it. Um, belief in my learning. Um, I think, you know, I think as, as much as I jump up and down and I say, you know, don't be the smartest person, sometimes what happens is, is my teams will sometimes wait for me to answer. And as much as I try to encourage them to be more proactive, it's really hard for them because of my resume. So, and sometimes my ego can get in the way with those kinds of things. So I could constantly remembering that, constantly remembering that I've gotten to a level others haven't yet means I have to be able to check myself at the door before I walk in. Really make sure I really create more of a safe space environment for these people to voice their concerns, their ideas, their opinions. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, we cause a battle like our constantly. Based. I'll give you an example, a perfect example. Chat GPT. I'm sure all your listeners now know about DALI and Chat GPT and all these things, right? To me, I think it's going to it's going to completely change the world, 100. 
Yeah. No Tim Sands or Dow, but to Bauer. But in my team, of my eight direct reports, my management team, I'm constantly learning all about it. And they're slow to catch up. Yeah. And I have to remember that they're also running the day-to-day businesses, right? So allowing me to go do what I do, right? So I can't get frustrated with that. So that's a small example, right? So I mean, they're coming along, but they still have to run the business. And so they can't just drop everything they're doing. They go go dive into chat tomorrow. So you know, they have to be able to find ways. And it's, it's, it's easy. It's easy for me to be the idea guy. They have to go, they have to go execute. So I have to be careful how much of an idea guy. Right, right. And, and it goes back to that transparency, being able to be transparent and, and talk about all the things that are possible and, and bring all those ideas in while things are being implemented already. It's a lot to carry, but as a leader, you're able to really navigate that and you're doing a great job at it. For those that want to find you, where, where can they find you, Rajiv, outside of the book, of course? Well, look, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me on LinkedIn. Um, on Instagram, my handle is Raj. You know, if they really want to, want to find me, I'm sure they can reach out to you and they can, yeah. you, you have my email address and, you know, you can introduction. So that's the, you know me, but you know, usually there's that. I mean, I don't really use Twitter all that much and I want Facebook, but I don't think your audience is on Facebook. So, so, uh, and I want TikTok. It's the same at the, at the Rushy or I'm happy to say I've got 400 followers. So it's kind of exciting. But, uh, so anyways, but that's, I mean, I'll be number one. And then you, you I don't know. Awesome, man. I'm truly, truly grateful to have you on the show. I think the, the audience got a lot of, uh, a lot of value from this, this episode. And thank you for coming on the show, man. I'm, I'm really grateful for you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And I wish you nothing but success. And hope all your listeners have a great year. Absolutely. Thank you.